Today, let's talk about what happens when a former military team tackles the problem of securing industrial control systems. This is not a job for the faint-hearted. An industry under pressure. Innovation in its finest hour. This is the Oil & Gas Technology Podcast, where sharp minds reveal the brilliance and sheer determination turning great ideas into new realities. Hear about how it happens in real life with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. The views of the host are expressly his own and should not be construed as the views of Nutanix or any other corporation, consortium, governing body, or interplanetary federation. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another exciting and thrilling episode of Oil & Gas Technology Podcast. I have a really interesting guest today. Before we get to that, I have to ask everybody to please give us some reviews. They could be good reviews. They could be bad reviews. This is how we find out whether you actually like what we're doing or not. So if you don't like it, then explain why, and that's how we'll get better. And if you do like it, please say something nice about us so that other people will find out how fantastic we are. Today, I'm sitting at the Red Trident office in Houston, Texas. Well, pretty far south of Houston. Is this still Houston? I don't know. It's Webster, you know, South Houston. It's like Houston. It's like Houston. And the voice you hear is Eddie Ferguson, who has one of the coolest titles that I've ever uh, seen. You're the director of threat intelligence. Yes. So before we get into our topic, which is about security in ICS environments, let's talk about being the director of threat intelligence. What is that all about? Sure. So it's actually kind of a title that's been adopted in the industry over the years, just to look at the threats that are coming against, you know, either IT networks or or ICS networks, OT networks. And it's really about identifying those threat actors, what tools they're using, how they're employing those tools. So we look a lot farther outside of our, our networks internally. You know, a lot of intelligence, there's two different sides to it. You got to know your own environment really well. And so you'll have an intelligence team that is usually looking at the internal network and looking for anomalies and looking for movement inside the network. But threat intelligence more is more about learning about the threat actors and what they're bringing to the fight. Got it. Okay. So there are other people like you and other companies. And, yep. and so if you were looking for other people who kind of have those same perspectives, do you find them inside of industry or are they mostly like outside consultants and things like that? It really depends on the maturity of the organization. You know, if you're talking about an organization that's just starting up a cybersecurity program in general, for a smart leader, they'll do something that is intelligence driven for sure. So you get an intelligence guy on early and they identify the threats and vulnerabilities in your network and and you make decisions smartly. But that's certainly a very mature approach to cybersecurity or ICS security in general. So typically, you'll either have a pretty robust program that has an intelligence program attached to it, or you'll have a a company that does it almost wholeheartedly. That's all they do is look at the intelligence, and then they they sell that off or farm it out to different organizations. Right. Okay. So, and you mentioned, you said a word in there early on, maturity, which is the thing I think that we want to talk about today. And just For our audience to clarify that what we're talking about here today is industrial control systems, process controls, what we what we now sometimes call the OT environment. But it's kind of distinct from IT. And it's that world out there where you see plants and refineries and all of those kinds of things. So just 
you are more of an expert than I am. So for the audience, who maybe not everybody's familiar with that, what are we talking about? And how is it different from IT in the back office and things like that? Sure. So it's a surprisingly diverse you know, landscape when you're talking about ICS or OT security in general. You could have, we always think about refineries and chemical plants and those types of things when we think about those environments, but but it could be a wind farm, it could be a solar farm, it could be right. a water wastewater treatment plant. Right. And there's a lot of different industries that use automation. And if you're using automation to produce your product or ship your product or or somehow transport your product into you know different mediums, even all those automation systems are vulnerable. And so those overall operational networks, those OT networks, mm-hmm. as, as we're kind of terming this industry-wide, that's really the landscape that we like to play in. Red Trident in general, we were formed from a bunch of guys that come from operations. They've run plants. They've made chemicals. They've made products. They've made cement. Mm-hmm. They've worked in wind farms and solar farms. And, and so when we all came together, it was about how do we secure these networks better in across the gamut. We were looking at, you know, the whole landscape. There's similarities in in wind farms and water treatment plants, chemical plants. They're all using the same type of controllers. They all have generally the same type of network topographies. There's only a certain amount of ways you can do these topographies. And a lot of the technologies that are used inside these networks are super old or not ever created with security in mind. So it doesn't matter what industry you go into necessarily, there's always similarities within these networks. And so that's that's where we kind of look at, you know, right now across the board, security on these networks is pretty immature. Right. So so it's things like, I mean, it also applies to utilities, right? Sure. And public infrastructure. Absolutely. And all. I mean, I think there was, a, there was a Die Hard movie about this, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, you, yeah. You, if you're not careful, somebody can shut it all down. So it's interesting. And you also, you mentioned they weren't always built with security in mind. But I think in the past, that wasn't so much of a problem because they're physically separate. And unless somebody was like trekking out in the wilderness to actually like tap into your pipeline, right? And, right. and drill a hole in, you know, and put the wires, like they weren't that vulnerable, vulnerable, if I'm not mistaken. But the way I understand it is now with the advent, there's all these digital transformation initiatives coming along where we want to get these systems connected to other things so that we can get at the data, so we can do analytics, so we can you know have all of this. And that's where I think the OT folks are having a little bit of a panic attack or like a hold on. <laughs> right? sure. the, the way that I've been able to keep this thing from you know, creating a lot of problems is by keeping it separate. I'm the only one who, who touches it. Right. Otherwise, bad things can happen. Right. And so is that I mean, is that that kind of sizes up why there's a bigger focus on this type of security now? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as corporations grow and mature, there is definitely a drive to get ground level data back into the corporate offices so they can make decisions on ordering raw materials or how they're going to price materials out as they as they sell them and take them to market in in purity and quality of, of materials that are being produced and in you know from a, a safety perspective or or even a production perspective, I can sit in my corporate office and know exactly what each one of my plants are doing on a daily basis, how they're operating, how they're you know their efficiencies and everything right. else. So 
all that data is is super powerful for an organization and it's also super vulnerable right, right. now. So now we have so now we're kind of getting to the part that I know is the basis for a lot of what you guys at Red Trident kind of how you're how you're approaching this which is that there is a need for organizations to mature and for these environments to mature in terms of their their security capabilities but it's not happening fast enough right, right. so so the needs the new things that are happening that are creating new vulnerabilities are outpacing a lot of people's ability to mature the technology and the people oh, and the certainly and all yeah that. so so talk about that a little bit like why is it so hard why can't we i mean we're blazing new trails with all this really cool data analytics and, and AI and, and all of that sort of thing. Why can't the security front keep up with that? Sure. So I'll give you a little story first just to, to okay. add some context around this. So when I joined the Air Force in 1990. That was an interesting year to join the Air Force. It was a very interesting year. Because <laughs> something happened later that yeah, year. I'm yeah. I, I came yeah. in in January and, and we yeah. were in the desert shortly afterwards. Yeah, so. Okay. You know, in 93, I got into the intelligence side of the house. Did you say like, wait a minute, I'm on the college program. Like, No, oh, absolutely. Because that was the first time there'd been a like a conflict ramp up like yeah. that. Like it sort of, yeah, nobody was expecting that. No, not at all. So I, you know, I went into intelligence in 93 and immediately got into the, the cyber realm a lot more actively in in the Air Force when, you know, they were just plugging into the internet around that time and, right, and immediately right. realized that China was attacking them. And so <laughs> as soon as we were plugging in, you know, we were definitely vulnerable. So they took a bunch of Intel guys with security clearances and a bunch of network guys and IT guys and threw us all in the room and said, you guys figure it out. Right. And, and we literally spent 10 years trying to, to get the baseline programs up. How do we select the right people, what kind of skill sets do they need, what kind of training do they need, how do we mature this program out in as short amount of time as we can because the threat is very real. So that happened in the early 90s, and it's just now happening in the ICSOT realm now. I mean, it started a few years ago, but but really, you know, find it, you're taking literally operations guys, IT security guys, and physical security guys and throwing them in the same room and saying, all right, you guys figure it out. And, you know, in the early 90s, we had a, a hardcore driver, which was, you know, these state nation actors directly attacking our military. When you're talking about, you know, going into the civilian community and into the industrial market space, there's risk, obviously. They, they see some attacks but it's there's not that hardcore driver that is driving that maturity like we had in the old days. So right. so it is maturing slower, but I think that's about to ramp up significantly because of the, the risks that are coming down the road. Right. So what are so what are some of the obstacles? So now here in the in the corporate industrial world, people are recognizing the need, but I think that it's not maybe as easy as it looks. Right. right. And so what are like the first thing I got to believe is it's a whole new thing to think about, right? Sure. I mean, you guys in the nine, in the early nineties, you were, you know, they threw you in a room and like, that was probably the only thing that you were thinking about for the next however many months, right? right? Out in the world today, we got in the, in the corporate world, you know, we, we got people with all kinds of things on their mind, right? Yep. And now they got to like figure this new thing out. So how hard is that? Does it come naturally? to? People? Oh, absolutely not. No, it's significantly different because we do have very mature IT security programs out there in the world. And so when we started talking about how to fix OT security, 
obviously everybody turns to the IT security people and says, hey, you guys lead this effort. And, and IT security people are like, I don't have a clue what's going on down there in operations. Like, that, like, like you've been H- keeping me out of that for the yeah, last four yeah. years, and now you want me to actually understand yeah. it. Right? Yeah, I yeah. can barely spell yeah. HMI, and now right, you want me right. to secure yeah. that thing. Yeah. And, and so the protocols are different. The equipment's different. It's all very insecure. You can't do traditional IT security things inside the OT security realm. So if you go in with you know very traditional mindset and, and can't flex around the space, then you run into some significant problems. And I'll give you an example. You know, when we were talking about security here a year ago and how we wanted to move forward with some of our products and services, one of the things that we really keyed on was that when we went into space, we didn't try to change space to where we could live in space. We changed us and we changed the way we were working in that environment. Same with sub-C. We didn't go into sub-C and try to change sub-C. We didn't try to change that environment. We right. changed the way we operated, those sure. depths right. and with those pressures. And, and we had to change the way we were doing the same. You know, you can't operate the same. You can't, you can't design and build the way you do there. No, uh, not at all. You do uh, topside, right? Yeah. So, so when we approached OT security, we didn't set out to change the environment. We knew that the environment was probably static. It was made from some older technologies. And so we've looked at how do we just apply solid security principles in this new environment and how do we change ourselves in our approach? So so in that that that's a hard thing for for people to do. You gotta really humble yourself and, yeah. and come at it from a different it's perspective. Different mindset completely, right? It's right. So and you're right, in, in the IT world we are accustomed, you know, and that's the world that I spent many years in. We're accustomed to be able to being able to manipulate what things to fit what we want them to be, yep. right? And and you you can't do that. Right. You, you can't go out there and tell the guy at the plant we're going to reconfigure all this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so it's he'll tell you to pound sand. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So okay, we'll shift gears just for a second because I want to get back to how do people walk down this road of maturity, but what about, so what are the stakes, right? How important is it? You mentioned that when you did, you know, back in the 93, national security was at stake. So maybe that's not at stake now, although, you know, there's some consideration about, you know, energy being something that could be manipulated and the threats don't necessarily have to be other countries, right? They could, so, so talk a little bit about like what's at stake, how motivated should we be to get this done? So when you think about these environments in particular, and again, from a threat actor perspective, right? So you look at, you look at most of the hackers in the world, what are they after? They're after financial stuff, right? Because it right. pays, They've got nine to five jobs. They go to their little hacker office and, and they're hacking all day trying to make money by exploiting people right. or exploiting organizations, right? Right. Except it's nine at night to five in the morning. Yeah. Because yeah. that's right. when they do their yeah, exactly. best thinking, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> their second job. Yeah. <laughs> but in the ICS environment, you know, you can literally take down power plants and you can take down chemical plants and you can change processes. I mean, I won't even go into Stuxnet and everything else that, that's mm-hmm. happened over time, but the ability to have a profound effect on a chemical process or an energy process or a logistics process and shut down either 
some type of flow or some type of safety system and, and crash a chemical plant or crash a nuclear facility, that's real. That, so why would somebody, I mean, you said they're after financial gain. Right. Well, how does that, what, what, how does that, why would people want to do that? So in the, within the ICS environment, particularly. Right. Yeah. So, like why would somebody want to crash a chemical plant? How well, does that, how does that make the money? It doesn't typically. So that's why the threat is very different in these environments. When you're talking about the state nation actors that are exploiting our national infrastructure, critical infrastructure, mm-hmm. it's almost kind of a mutually assured destruction outlook. So we are constantly spying on their networks, their operational networks. We know all about their chemical plants and their nuclear facilities if they have them. They know about some of ours and they know how to crash us. Right. We don't do it right now we because both have somebody with binoculars in the in the stadium looking at the coaches, yeah, exactly. right? Basically trying to figure out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't attack us really overtly much because they know that we have the same capabilities. And when you start shutting down whole right. sectors of the government, pretty soon we're actually going to be at war. So if you got a hacker that steals some information from a bank, that's bad. That's breaking a law. When you start you know, affecting critical infrastructure of a country, right. that's an act of war. Really so, right. so when you're talking about the state level actors, there's that aspect of it. There's certainly the mutually assured destruction. But when you're talking about other state actors, sometimes they are there to steal information, intellectual property. Mm. They want to look at your processes and how you're making right. that product or how you're running your chemical plants or how you're running your other industrial facilities. And they're there basically for their own gain. So there are certainly countries that are hacking into critical infrastructure, but it's more to steal other information and processes and recipes and those types of things. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So even if we're not particularly worried about like a a real life diehard movie happening, there's still, there can still be loss, right? Absolutely. Like major loss to the business. So it stands to reason that, that people should take it seriously. It sounds like people are, it's not as easy to move down the road. And, you know, we always, I mean, I spent many years of my career in consulting and there was this, like every engagement that we went into, you know, like, like big IT consulting, you know, it was always the people process technology, like perspective that you sort of had to try to build into the engagement if you wanted, you know, and I was one of the consultants who did want the customer to be the client to be successful and not perpetuate a never ending consulting engagement. Yeah. So we always had to think about like, you can't just walk in and deliver the thing, right? And not think about like, how does the organization need to change or mature around this? How does it affect processes? In fact, that was what got a lot of consultants sort of a bad reputation was, oh, they just come in and they just like drop this in here and then they want to get paid. And what are we supposed to do with it, right? So I imagine it's the same, this is the same scenario, right? So let's talk about, let's start with the people part. Clearly, all the skills aren't probably out there or all the right skills aren't in all the right places, maybe. But this is actually, these things are good opportunities for people who are out there, particularly in oil and gas right now, because they're saying the industry's changing, we're changing. You know, some people have been laid off, but there's other opportunities being created. So anytime there's a major change like this, it does create opportunities for people to learn new things and develop expertise, right? right? If they're proactive. So what does that look like if I'm out there and I'd like to start, or I have a team that I would like to start, you know, maturing them and developing the expertise in this direction? What does that, yeah. what should I be doing? 
when an organization decides to go down this path, they really have three options. You either take the IT security guy or gal and you make them the OT security person. <laughs> you uh, wave the little magic wand over yeah, there. Yeah, here's your new hat. <laughs> <laughs> or you take an operations person who is working in safety or security or, or just operations in general. And you're like, hey, guess what? You're the, the new OT security person right. now. Or you take, and I've seen this happen as well, because they don't have those other two levels of expertise or nobody wants that ahead, they'll, they'll take the physical security person and say, hey, guess what? You need to develop this from, from your perspective. So I've seen all three of those happen. Okay. And it's usually a person that has an expertise in one area, but doesn't really understand the others. And so you end up with this massive learning curve or you end up with, with a situation where if you've got somebody that's super collaborative, they'll pull in the other people from those other realms and sit them at the table and say, all right, we've got to figure this out together, right? So identifying those, those stakeholders in the company is super important. You've got to pull in the operations people immediately. If you don't, you'll never get buy-in. Right. The operations people are making the money for the company. So anything you do that's going to affect their operations or affect their ability to make money, they're just they're, they're going to ignore it or find a workaround or whatever. Right. So you got to pull them in and get them involved in the process early. Obviously, you know, goal usually is to connect OT and IT together. So if you don't have the IT person there that they, they can work with the operations and understand the types of data that's coming out there and the types of protocols that, that are being used and how that information flows and and what you can do within that DMZ between the two, right. then you're going to have a failure there as well. And so that's that's the real struggle right now. I, I think there was, we've seen tons of reports over the, the last couple of years where there's, there's less than a thousand OT security people in the entire United States. And really, wow. that number's grown significantly over the last five years just to get to that level. Wow. You, you talk, you know, you think about the number of companies out there, that's not even one per company, you know what I'm saying? So, so the, the skills <laughs> gap is definitely I, I, there. Wouldn't be too hard to round up those thousand people, get them all together and say, okay, everybody, we're all working together now and here's what we want to get paid, right? Right, right, yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty small group. It happens too. You'll you'll see a person get hired on to do some type of ICS or OT security. They start building a program. Somebody down the road hears about it and they offer them another 40000 a year. Yeah, He's like, yeah. I'm out of here. And the problem is that not only is your own OT security problem still there and the process is stopped, but they've also taken all that corporate knowledge with them. Right. So, sure. you know, it's a huge loss in, in I mean, it yeah. happens all the time. Yeah, I'm sure that it's competitive right now. Okay. So, so you addressed, you talked about basically like people getting appointed, like, like here's your new, like you got a fancy new title yep. and you talked about alignment of the roles and the different people from different groups and, and things like that. But there's still this question of, I think probably like, even if I was, if I was the new OT security person, and last week I was worried about like the gate that gets stuck as you drive onto the campus, right? right? And now I'm like, <laughs> now I got this other thing to do. There's, even if I'm really excellent, like corporate political maneuverer and I can get people aligned and all that, there's a subject matter gap, 
right? Sure and is. that subject yes. matter gap, because now that we're all happily aligned on this new objective, well, what are we going to do? There, there must be some best practices. There must be some best practices with, re- with regard to process and technology and or even just how do I... So this is where I imagine... and. I'm going to tee this one up very nicely for you because if I were in that role, I'd be thinking, I got to find somebody to come in here and help me because I, because, you know, I don't know what to do and I don't know what, and, and more importantly, surely other people have, have figured some of this out. So I'd sure like to know what other people have done that have been successful. So that must create, I mean, I I would think that for guys like you that have that really deep experience to come in and help people ramp up, right? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, earlier Actually, let me start last year. So last November, we started looking at the market. We knew that oil and gas was starting to go down. We knew that was going to be flat for a while. So we had a strategic meeting here at Red Tribe and said, hey, what do we want to do from a market perspective? And what do we want Red Trident to look like in 2020? We had no idea COVID was coming, right? But at the time, we really wanted to concentrate on three different markets. So we narrowed our focus and then we started looking at how do we solve these problems faster? And so we, we got everybody in the room together and again, operations background, IT security background, and, and you know, physical security background and said, all right, everybody's right. Okay, everybody's got an equal voice. How do we solve this problem? And so we came up with a you know a fairly good technology stack that will work to secure these environments pretty quickly and give people time to rapidly reduce risk, but they have time to mature their, their programs as they want to. So we started having some, some alpha deployments and conversations with, with clients, and they're like, man, that's super cool technology, but I don't have anybody to manage right. that yeah. at all. And like, I don't have the expertise on campus. I can't do it. And so we said, hey, we, we've got the team here, right? We're, we're already doing this. We've got a small security operations center here that that is set up specifically for OT security and, and, you know, we do IT as well because the plants usually have both and they usually want to just pawn that off. So the one thing we learned to go back to your point is that companies want to make their product. That's what they want to do. They want to make their chemicals or they want to make energy or they want to make clean water. And, And if they can take that risk that cybersecurity risk and transfer it over to somebody else that is already doing that and has the expertise and does it far cheaper than what they could do internally, that happens a lot. So I would say that's the vast majority of our business is just companies coming to us and saying, hey, we know we have a problem or we were breached before or our board is really interested in doing this. I don't have a clue. Can you guys help us start out? Right. So I'm going to ask the tricky question then. How do I know I can trust you, right? Like, how sure. do I, how do I, so I, I want to bring in somebody to help me with this. You read Trident guys, you seem like you know what you're doing. Maybe you know what you're doing a little bit too much. How do I know I can trust you to actually come in and, and make sure that I don't end up in a worse position than I was in the first place? Oh, like, yeah. That, how do that's... I trust your motives, right? <laughs> <laughs> how do I know you're not just infiltrating? No. I mean, you must have to prove that to people, right? That, that you can All be trusted. All the time. Yeah. All the time, right? We don't have a problem doing that because we have quite a few federal level contracts that we do work with the Department of Defense. We do work for Department of Energy. We work for the research laboratories. And then we're more than happy to say, hey, here's our current clients. Go talk to them, see what they're doing. And 
And then we'll we'll explain to them exactly what our processes are and we'll lay it out for them. And, and again, if they want to build an internal team, sometimes that's what we're doing. We're helping with that engagement to make sure they hire the right people. Those people can build the programs out and, and we're almost right. the, the enablers to where they can build out their internal team. And sometimes they don't want to bother with it at all. And so we just, we manage their identity and access management into the, into the operational networks. And we do the anomaly detection. We monitor everything that's going inside those networks. So if we see new devices pop up, we can alert the chemical plants immediately or, you know, whatever production facility. We alert them immediately and let them control what happens. We monitor, we show them what's going on. If they say, yeah, that's cool, we add it onto the list of stuff that's cool. Right, <laughs> and right. if it's if it's not, then we immediately take action to stop that activity that's going on. So there's certainly, it's just like IT security, yeah, right? Sure. There's a level of trust that, that comes with brand name, but there's also the ability to go back and say, hey, look, this is what we're doing inside the industry. This is what we've done over the last five years. Here's a list of clients go talk to them and get feedback sounds good yeah i think if you have people that are willing to talk about what their experiences i mean bottom line is you as red trident you have to have your customers best interest in mind or else you're not going to be able to stay in business right i mean oh sure gonna, right so i do want to we are we're kind of like almost out of time but um, okay. this is the tech podcast and a lot of people listen to it want to hear about cool tech so we haven't talked too much about, you know, we talked a lot about the people in the processes and things like that. Tell us just, you know, without giving away your secret sauce, tell us a little bit about, you said that people said to you, hey, that's cool technology. What makes it cool? Yeah. So the product that we developed this year, it's called the Cyber ECP or Entry Control Point, right? And if you think about going to an airport, you know, you've got that wide open space where everybody can come in in the front, but to get to the back space, you got to have a ticket. You got to have a reason for being there. You got to be able to authenticate who you are and your bags get checked when you go in there. And while you're in there, all of your activities monitored. If you're doing anything wrong, security's alerted and we take action, right? And so that our technology is the same concept. What we did was we have a device that, that sits on the edge within that DMZ and we control all access that goes into or out of the operational networks. We monitor all the packets going in and out. We have 130 different protocols that we do deep packet inspection for. We manage all the identity and access management protocols. And we make sure that the people that are in there have a reason to be in there. They have a purpose. And then they're doing the activities that they're only allowed to do. So that technology stack is it's pretty robust. We the Security that we put around even the endpoints that they're using. So your laptop gets authenticated. It goes through a whole lot of uh, behavioral analysis to make sure that it's okay to connect into our box. And then, you know, once you get through the box, there's a protocol break. So even if you've got a command that you're given to our web interface, if it doesn't make sense on the back end, it never gets executed. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so there's a lot of different, we wrapped about 30 layers of security around these very insecure environments because we knew that they were insecure and that we know that they're static and we know that they're not going to change. So instead of looking at each one of the components, we looked at the whole environment in generally and wrapped security around that. So that's what our tech does. Got it. Okay. So it's good stuff. So hopefully that was enough 
for anybody, any of our listeners who have been sitting here waiting, saying like, okay, great, but when is he going to geek out on the tech part, right? <laughs> so I think that was enough to cool. somebody interested. If somebody wants to learn more about you, about Red Trident, about what you guys are doing in the industry, where do they look? You can always go to LinkedIn to find me and, you know, just look up Eddie Ferguson. I, I you were easy there. to find. I found yeah. you pretty easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. I would also definitely connect with Emmett Moore. He's our CEO and just one of the most personable CEOs you'll ever meet and just super tech geek. He loves this stuff. And then, you know, you can always go to redtridentinc.com. That's our main website. You can look for our different products and services on there. We're not just a security company. We do automation services and everything else too. So we help quite a few municipalities here maintain water wastewater treatment plants. Okay, cool. Everything we do, we bake security into it. Excellent. Okay, thank you. really want to... Thank you for being, actually, for being here. It's actually for having me here in your office. It's good to be getting out and about and and seeing real people again. (laughs) You know, maybe we'll, maybe we'll touch base again. So we're talking about this maturity thing. It would be interesting to touch base maybe next year sometime and see how's it going. Are people maturing? Yeah. Are we still in Yeah. It'd be some sort of a chart. Also want to thank our relatively new sponsor, which is Cognite. And they're doing some fantastic things with industrial data. So in some ways, maybe related to the things we're talking about today, but they are really focused on taking all that industrial data and adding context to it, making it intuitive, making it so that people can use it and applications can use it. And so if that sounds interesting to you at all, you should check out Cognite. Also, we are still doing the product reviews. If you want us to review any kind of tech products. It has to be able to fit through the door. can't be something that that we have to transport on a large truck. But if we can get it in the door and we can try out any gadgets or gizmos or things, then we will do a, a review and talk about it on the show. I also have to remember to mention our street team, led by Warren, who is out there organizing the street team. They're not on the real streets right now so much, maybe, but they're still on the virtual streets and there's a Facebook group. And so if you want to get involved with something that's, you know, in the industry and out there doing good things, then check out the street team. And that is going to wrap it up for today. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we are making sure that you don't get left behind one episode at a time. And here are the events on deck. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for October 2020. We've got about five events this month, three of which are online, one of which is in person, and one of which is both. First up, we have the Houston Energy Breakfast Virtual Conference on the 6th, which is about embracing the evolving market landscape, and that'll be online. Second, we have Adipec 2020, which is an interactive online event going on from the 9th to the 12th. Third, we have OGGN and API Houston Chapter Presents, the opening of the Deep Cavango Basin, which will be live streamed directly to LinkedIn and other platforms from the event in downtown Houston on the 10th. Fourth, we have the Energy API Three Gun Challenge on the 13th, which is in person at the Ranch Shooting Club in Eagle Lake, Texas. Last, we have the Downstream Leadership Forum, which will be our last event of the month from the 19th to the 20th, and that'll be online. Other than these events, I believe OGGN will be hosting some live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. That's all for November. I hope you guys have a great month, and thanks for tuning in. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com. (laughs) 